So this morning, I, I want to dive in a little bit, um, kind of following uh, not, too, not too far behind uh, where Aaron uh, dove in last week uh, in Joshua 1.8. And if you were not here last week um, and you missed that message, uh, I don't know if it's up yet, but when it gets up on the website, you need to hear the message from last week uh, that, that God brought forth through Aaron about the scriptures and, and how important it us is for us to, as believers to not just have sort of an acquaintance, but a, a really intimate knowledge uh, with God's word. If, if you weren't here, um, I, I, again, I, I want to really strongly encourage you uh, to, to, to listen to that. And if you were here, I want to strongly encourage you to listen to it again. So today I want to jump in kind of on the other side of the story. Uh, so we're in the book of Joshua as we're going through this, this work of, of reading through the entire Bible together as a body. And so right now we're in the book of Joshua. And, and probably one of the coolest stories in all of Scripture uh, about, uh, you know, God just being God in a way that only God could be, right? In, in Israel, after 40 years of wandering, uh, they finally get to this place where they're about to, to lay hold of uh, what God has for them in terms of entering uh, the promised land. And so if you've got a Bible or, or you, on your phone or, or however you're going to, you know, dig in today, uh, we're going to be in, in Joshua 4. But before we do that, I want to just share a little bit. I think some of you know, we've had, I've had, you know, conversations with some of you. Uh, our family uh, is still what I consider relatively new to the area, and maybe this is an old story, right? So we're, we're coming up on, on uh, five years since we relocated here. Our family, we were uh, from the Southern Tier area out in uh, Elmira. Uh, Jules and I met there at college. We got married, we stayed there, uh, and we had absolutely no plan whatsoever uh, to come to uh, Boston Spa. None whatsoever. And, and through the, a whole series of, of events that are, are far longer than uh, we have time for this morning, uh, God saw fit to move our family, uh, even though we had no uh, plans for that, no desires for that, really no interest in that. And, and yet, uh, we felt like God was saying it and, and, and tried to respond in faith the best that we could. Uh, but I want to tell you something. It was a long process. Um, it was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done uh, in my entire life. Um, right? it, it involved a, a period of time where I was living away from Jules and the kids for the, the bulk of the week. I was actually living with my in-laws. Sunday night through Friday, right, going to work. Friday, I'd leave work. I'd drive all the way back home. I'd spend Friday night through as late as I possibly could on a, on a Sunday night and then drive back up here. And, and I know uh, some of you have done or do far more difficult things than that, but for our family, that was sort of right at the, the stretching end of what we felt like we had grace for. Right? It was over the course of the winter, and so uh, every day I'm, I was worried about, you know, what if the furnace goes out? You know, will Jules know how to do that? Like, you know, uh, what if there's two feet of snow? Like, I'm not going to be able to do that. And so we had to uh, sell a house. We had to try and buy a new house. Uh, I was starting a new job. Um, 
and so uh, that all started in in August and so that year uh, for Christmas uh, Jules put together what for me was probably one of the uh, the greatest gifts that I've ever gotten in my entire life uh, she handmade a quilt a queen-size bed sized quilt that had panels of all of the scriptures that God had spoken to us leading up to that move and throughout the move, things that he had spoken to her to encourage her heart while I was uh, away or things that he had spoken to me, right? Things to confirm what he had called us to or uh, right, to encourage us to, to keep walking in, in what he had called us to walk in. Um, and so we, we have memorialized on this quilt, right, the things that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God spoke to me, that he spoke to my wife, that he spoke to my kids while we were going through that process. And that quilt is on our bed right now. Right? So every morning I can wake up, right, and I can see those things that God did. Right? And they spur me on, right? Because I will be very honest with you. Um, I, I left a, a job that was looking like it was going to go in a, in a pretty favorable direction for us. And, and I still have a, 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 you know, I'm not complaining, right? God is, is doing, you know, he's taking care of our family. But I have days where when I leave and I get on the bus to come home, if I'm really honest with you, Right? I'm asking the Lord, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Right? Or I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this anymore. But I go back to those memorial stones, the things that I know that he spoke along the way, things that he did in the past so that I can keep moving forward into what he has for us going forward. And that's what I want to look at today, right? On the other side of this awesome story in Joshua about the nation of Israel, literally after hundreds of years, finally entering into this land that God had covenanted with Abraham to give to him, right? They finally are there. Right? And if you remember, they got, they got it. They could see it while Moses was leading them. And they ended up wandering a little longer, right? Until an entire generation passed. And here they are. They're back in that place again. They're literally across the river from what God's promised them. And they finally enter in. Miraculously, they enter in. Right? And so in chapter 4, in verse 1, it picks up. And I'm going to read uh, sort of the main place where I want to land this morning. And so starting in verse 1, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests stood and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. 
So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Right, and this story, in a lot of ways, looks an awful lot like the story in Exodus, right? When Moses is leading them and God drives back the waters and they cross over miraculously on dry ground. But one of the things that's really different in this story is this memorial process, right? If you remember the story in Exodus, they don't go back, right? With good reason, right? When they crossed over in Exodus with Moses leading them, the Egyptian army was following after them, right? Probably not a great time to be picking up souvenirs along the way for when you cross over, right? And God hadn't asked them to do that. But in this case, in this crossing over into the promised land across the Jordan, right, God's direction to Joshua is, right, go back. Right? It says the whole camp, if you read in verse 1, the whole camp had crossed over. They were already in the promised land. Every single one of them. Right? Some estimates, we're talking 2 million people. Every single one of them. Young, old, fast, slow, a lot of stuff, not a lot of stuff. Every single one of them had crossed over. Lest you ever wonder if God is concerned about individuals, he was keeping track so that every single one of them crossed over. And so they're all over on the other side. Their feet are in the promised land. Hundreds of years waiting for this to happen. God says to Joshua, I want you to send 12 guys back. Not all the way back, I want you to send them back into the middle of the Jordan. Right, and so this, this picture of, of 12 men, one from each tribe, right, that this is not something that was reserved just for the priests or just for a unique group of, of the Israelites. This was a, a picture of, right, a reminder that was going to have impact across the entire nation, every tribe. Right, this wasn't just the Levites was all of them. And so he sends them back in. To grab rocks. Right? Stones. Right? And we're not talking, right? The picture here is not little stones like my kids tend to pick up when we go on hikes. Right? The the stones that I tend to find in my car for days and weeks after we go somewhere, right? These are stones that grown men would have to, to pick up and, and put on their shoulders in order to carry, right? These are, are memorials of, of substance. Not just any rocks, right? Verse 3 says, takes 
12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, right? This was not a, a quick go back to the, the edge and, and grab a stone and, and make a memorial. This was go back smack dab into the middle, right? Where the ark itself had been placed, being carried on the shoulders of the priests, right? And take stones from the middle and bring them back. Why? Why would God send them back? He tells us in verse 6, right? God tells Joshua, Joshua tells these 12 guys, 12, 12 guys do what Joshua told them, right? They go back into the middle of the Jordan and they pick up these rocks. to serve as a sign among you that in the future when your children ask you what do these stones mean that there would be a testimony there would be a memorial there would be a remembering what God had done right you got to remember of the folks who left Egypt how many of them are left to experience this Not two Joshua and Caleb, right? They're the only ones. They had heard about this. They had heard about the Red Sea. They had heard about what God did. Right? Surely their parents had talked about that with them, right? How could you not? But they had not seen it for themselves. And so God says, no, I don't want you to forget this. Right? Go back, that there would be a sign among you. And that word sign, right, it's a picture of, of a signal, of a, of a beacon. Right? Almost like a lighthouse, right, kind of flashing. Right? One of those beacons, ones that blink to get your attention. Right, that those stones were going to be put together in a way that it would be a beacon that would get their attention, that would cause people to ask questions. What in the world are these stones doing here? Right, and that it would open up a conversation around why they were there. One of the, the commentaries that I was reading in, in putting this together said it this way. He said, but God, knowing their frame and how apt they have been to forget his works, ordered an expedient for the keeping of this remembrance to all generations. And you've got to think from God's perspective, right, when, when he brought them through the Red Sea, it didn't take very long for them to forget, right? For them to start complaining, oh, we wish that we were back in Egypt, at least the food was good. Right? It didn't take that long. They forgot. Right? And even while they're wandering in the desert, right, the manna and the, right, all of the miraculous provision, 40 years of manna, right, six days a week, feeding an entire nation, right? What had happened is 
the, the miracle in that had gotten so familiar, right, that they had forgotten just how miraculous that was. And you think, man, those guys are, those guys are stupid. Like, how could you forget that? If we were really honest, right, aren't we the same way? Aren't we prone to the same forgetting? We forget, right? The the miracles that God's doing in us and, and, and for us and through us every day, right, we're so familiar with that we've just sort of forgotten, right, almost to the point of taking them for granted. And so God says, nope, we're going to do it a little differently this time. I want you to remember this. And so they build this memorial. I want to just share uh, a couple of psalms here that, that sort of get at this point. Uh, you don't have to flip there. Um, I, I shared this, I, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 145, and this is a little long, but I'm going to read it to you. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glo- the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. He wanted that dialogue, right? That remembrance to cause one generation to say, have I ever told you about the time that God, right, fill in the blank. He's calling for a memorial, a, a beacon, 
that they'll be able to look back to and have those conversations, right? To stir themselves up, to stir each other up, to stir their families up in those times, right? We know what comes after this, right? They're in the promised land, but there is still an awful lot of work to do. There's still an awful lot of warfare to be had, right? They are in the place that God has promised them, right? It is theirs, and yet they still have to go and take possession of it. And that is not going to be easy. And God says, I'm setting up this memorial so that you'll remember in the midst of that, that I was with you, and I am with you, and I will be with you as you go forward in that. Right? Those words should sound pretty familiar, right? Those are Christ's words to us, right? I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, right? Surely I'm with you till the end of the age, right? The same God that's setting up a memorial for Joshua and the Israelites is the same God, right, who offers that to us. And so they build a memorial, not one, but two, right? They take rocks out of the middle. It says they built one on dry land and they built a second one. Joshua builds one right in the middle of the Jordan. Right, two memorials. What do you need two for? In the Old Testament, right, everything was established by the testimony of, had to be at least two witnesses. There's two memorials here. There's two witnesses, right, to this miraculous thing that God has done in their midst, right, on behalf of the entire nation, right, all 12 tribes. When God says things or does things twice, right, it generally is a, uh, a point that he's trying to make, right? Christ in the Gospel of John, there's a bunch of times where he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, right? As if once is not enough, right? He wants to make sure that he's got our attention. God's doing the same thing here. I want to make sure that this isn't forgotten. I want to jump ahead just a little bit down to verse 19. It says, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. When he had dried it up before us, or he dried it up before us until we had crossed over, he did this so that all of the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I didn't notice this the first time I read through this, or, or even the second or third, to be honest with you, but take a look at the date when they cross over. The tenth day of the first month, the people are crossing over the Jordan and coming up on the other side. The tenth day of the first month in the calendar of Israel is the beginning of Passover. 
think that's a coincidence? The very day that, that God's chosen people lay hold of the promised land that he had given Abraham generations and generations and generations before that, right? Their feet touched that promise the very same day that they're supposed to remember, right, the Passover, right? The day when they were set free, when God passed over, right, the nation of Israel. They were getting ready to celebrate the Passover. They were getting ready to celebrate a remembrance of something God had done And God's saying, you know what, I'm going to add to that heritage for you, to that remembrance. This Passover, this conversation with the previous generation, right, just what he had done to the Red Sea, right, he's calling them to remember, right, being set free from bondage in, in Egypt, Right, is they're being set free into the promised land. And here's the connection that I want to make to you for you on this one. Right? Our God is not in the in the business. He's not interested in simply setting people free from sin and death. Right? God sets us free from sin and death. Free from and free unto, right? He's got something on the other side of bondage beyond just wandering in the desert, right? He has a calling and a plan and a purpose, a place for each one of us, right? He doesn't just set us free from something. He sets us free to something else, right? Being set free from the law of sin and death unto the law of life. So what do all these rocks and rivers and remembrances have to do with us today here at New Life? I've got three things I would ask you to, to consider right, and kind of winding down here. The first is this. We now are living memorials. I don't know what your story is, right, some of you. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it looked like when you crossed over, right, from w the place that you were in before God called you to the place that you are now in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know what that looked like, but what I know is your life is a living memorial that says, you know what, you're not what you were. And our lives are living memorials, beacons, right, for others to look at and ask the question, wait a second, what happened here? What happened to that guy? If you asked kids that I, right, this is my 20th high school reunion year. If you asked kids that I went to high school with, if you, if you gave them a little bit of time, right, to spend with me now, they would ask that question, what the heck happened to that guy? Right? I wasn't a bad kid, but I'm not by the grace of God, what I was. Right? And neither are you. Right? 
Our lives are living memorials, beacons, right? Designed to start conversations that would ask people, that would cause people to ask, what happened here? Tell me about what happened here. We're the stones, a living memorial, right? Each one of us. Second thought, right? I mentioned this earlier. The Israelites are already in the promised land, and yet there's still work for them to do. Right? This is exactly where God wanted them, exactly what he had for them. And yet, right, if you read on in Joshua, right, they've got a battle like everybody. Right? I can't, you can't even keep track, right? The, all of these different groups that they've got to go in and in order for Israel to take possession, they've got to dispossess these other people. And, and all of that work is going to happen. And you know what? We have a similar experience in our Christian life, right? I, I put my faith in Christ, and now I'm in, I'm in the promised land, right? I have relationship with Christ, and that can never be taken away from me. But there's still this work of dispossessing all of these other things that are in my life. And there's sometimes when that's really hard, and we've got to be able to look back and know the things that God has said to us or the things that God has done in us, right? I know for a fact, even on really hard days when work is terrible, right, and something goes wrong in the house that we bought, I know that I know that I know that I know that God brought us here. And that keeps me from going back. Right? I have those memorial stones, and so do you. One of the ongoing tactics at, right, of, of the enemy is to, to come and to question us and say, did God really say, right? did God really say you're supposed to go on that missions trip? You've got to have a memorial stone to say, yeah, I know. I know, right? Is God really good? Does God really love you? Right? Those stones in our lives allow us to answer those questions, right? Not to take us backwards, but so that we keep going forwards, that we keep laying hold of all that God has for us in the promised land that Christ has provided. And the last thing I would share with you is that I believe that we're called at a pretty fundamental level to a ministry of remembrance. And maybe you've never thought of it that way before, but I would encourage you to, to take some time to take what Aaron uh, taught on last week and to meditate a little bit on 1 Corinthians 11. And this starts in verse 23. This is Paul writing, and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? Right? The Lord's table right, is, a, is a place of memorial. It's a place of remembering what, he, what Christ did. Right? Laying down his life. Right? Shedding his blood for us. Right? That our call when we come to the table right, is to remember that. Right? That that remembrance would propel us forward as Paul says, in proclaiming the Lord's death, right? But how, you, how can we be propelled forward proclaiming just Christ's death, right? Knowing that that's not where the story ends, right? We're compelled not just to proclaim his death, but his resurrection, right? His ascension, right? The whole gospel, right? To remember what Christ has done, right? To cause that to Right? Not to take us backwards, but to propel us forwards into what he has, into sharing it, just as he said in Joshua, that all, the, that all nations would know. And so I'm going to, uh, Corey and the, and the worship team, if you guys would come forward, and, and as, as they play, I know we're, we're going to run over a little bit here. But as they come up, I want you just to close your eyes and I want you, I want you to go back into the Jordan. And I want you to think about, I want you to ponder some of those stones, times in your life where you know that God showed up, where you know that you heard from the Lord, right? A scripture, right? Or something that somebody prayed for you or a miraculous provision. And I want you to stir that up a little bit. Where God did something, where he, where he said something, where he touched your heart in a way that you will never forget. I want you to take those stones and I want you to build a memorial. And as we worship, as we sing this song, I want you to, to worship him as you remember the things that he's done, knowing that he doesn't change, that his character, the same heart motivation that caused him right, to do or say or to touch your life in the way that he's bringing to your remembrance, right, that his heart is still just as much for you today as it was that day that you're remembering, that moment that you're remembering. I want you to build a memorial and I want you to worship him. Let him remind you this morning of his great faithfulness, of his love poured out for you. And from that place, worship him. Lord, I pray as we leave today, 
Lord, that you would stir us up by your Spirit. Lord, to remember the, the ways and the times, Lord, that you've shown your great faithfulness to us, your, your great love, Lord, your kindness, Lord, your provision. Lord, and, and that as you stir those up, that it would cause us, Lord, to worship, that, that it would cause, Lord, the praise of your great name to be on our lips. Lord, that we would declare one generation to another. Lord, that we would declare to all people how great you are. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.